0: White of the eyes and
1: dark within. Welcome to a new episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here? A proud member of the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host for now, Jason Helms, and I'm joined by my good bud Dominic Lang. Say hi, Dom.
0: Jay, good to be here. Uh, great to see your smiling face. <laughs> Yours as well.
1: There's, there's just no way to get into it uh, except to to say that this is the water and this is the well. So before we begin, a quick introduction to the show. What exactly am I watching here is a podcast that features an expert, myself, and a novice. Myself? Watching one of the great shows of television history. Dom, you are no longer a novice. I, I cannot accept this intro anymore. <laughs> you have been initiated.
0: What, whatever the next level up from novice is, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely above a novice.
1: I'm going to go with adept. You are an Adept. Okay, I'll take it. And uh, I think episode eight of Twin Peaks The Return will do that to just about anyone. So we've been watching Twin Peaks The Return one episode at a time. Uh, this is, uh, you know what, this is a good episode to get in on. Uh, just, yeah. Just just to find out the weirdness of Twin Peaks, this is, um, as you wrote in the notes, kind of an origin episode. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, if you got to start somewhere, you actually, you're not spoiling too much by starting here. It's a weird show. It's a weird episode. So come on. And we will continue, and we're we're gonna take this weird, weird, amazing hour of television apart, uh, moment by moment. Uh, but I guess we've got to start. So Dom, got a light?
0: I got plenty of lights, Jay. Uh, we left off with Doppelganger Coop escaping from prison uh, with Ray in the middle of the night. We have uh, Good Coop awakening from his Dougie shell, uh, Dougie Jones the. Whatever Dougie is, he's falling apart. Uh and Diane, our beloved Diane tells Gordon that something is very wrong You're with very doppelganger wrong. coop. Mm, something very wrong. Something wrong. Um so that's those are kind of the the pertinent moves in the chessboard right now. Um mm-hmm. and with that we launch right into part 8 of the return which is I I'd, I'd heard rumblings kind of about the return or about uh this one particular episode people that just like either the reaction was uniformly positive but also uniformly like this episode is nuts so i had in that sense i had i had expectations
1: and and how did it deliver
0: i mean it in short it delivered and it delivered in ways unexpected in ways that at first i was not picking up on and in reading reviews in reading kind of like further reactions and thoughts almost kind of letting it, it sink in it definitely rewards the uh you know going back to that fire walk with me scene of you know the kind of the satirization of overanalyzing what every single thing means um She had a real
1: sour face. Yeah.
0: Like it it rewards the kind of broader embrace of moments and forces and space and time. Um, There are specific things that happen. Absolutely. But it's not a one-to-one like this means this and this being like it goes far, far beyond those things. And that's what I really appreciate about it.
1: It's um, it's a weird one, and this is honestly um, when we started to watch Twin Peaks. I was thinking about this episode, and I was thinking hmm. we gotta get we gotta get through we gotta yeah. get through Laura Palmer. We gotta get through Firewalk with Me. We gotta get through
0: this stuff
1: because I cannot wait to talk about Twin Peaks: The Return, Episode Eight, with Dom, with my good bud.
0: Oh man, I'm and, and here we are. I'm, yeah.
1: In fact, Dom, I uh, I got you a little something. What I, I did, and I've been meaning to send it for a while. Uh, but the time was never right, and so I'm going to present it to you live on the podcast, and then I'll mail it to you. Oh, so you Jay! It. Well, I, this means a lot, and and I think that this episode is the right time to give it to you
0: Ooh. because, as
1: we said, you are no longer a novice; you are now an adept. <gasps> you are now a bookhouse boy.
0: What? Yep, that is no
1: way! Can you can you tell our listeners what you're looking at?
0: Uh, I'm looking at a what looks like a a, a Boy Scout patch. Uh, and it's, it's a Boy Scout patch. That's it's the logo for the, for the Bookhouse boys. And, uh, oh, Jay,
1: I got one for me too. Don't worry. I didn't, you know, wasn't going to screw up on that.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. I, I was very excited to go on this journey with you. And as a, a token of the journey, a memento, yeah. something to, to recall that we've done this and, and give us a badge because <sighs> we've accomplished something. Um, you are now a bookhouse boy. And, thank uh, and you. so I guess am
0: I. So, uh, <laughs> dude, I am very honored. Thank you yeah, so much. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Well, welcome to the club. I guess before we get into the good stuff, though, we've got to get through that first seven or eight minutes. Yes. Which is also odd, but kind of the normal for Twin Peaks, um, or in the way that was abnormal, I think it was that the plot moved forward. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, in a very clear way.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that was my biggest surprise when watching this, is so much slow TV, and then all of a sudden things are happening.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, so... Uh, like we said, uh Doppelganger Coop breaks out of prison and he's on the road with Ray. Uh and there is Ray pulls off to the side of the road. There's obviously some tension because Coop knows that Ray has betrayed him, mm-hmm. but we're unsure as to how much Ray is onto that fact and onto uh onto Coop. And so uh they pull off the side of the road. And uh, Ray's taking a leak. Doppelganger Coop goes to kill Ray. Ray turns around, shoots, got, gots the, gets the drop on him. Shoots Doppelganger Coop, and at that point, these kind of like soot acolytes or soot monsters.
1: Ooh. I like soot acolyte. That's nice. Okay,
0: we'll go with soot acolytes. So these soot acolytes emerge uh, and begin. I don't know what they begin doing. like they <laughs> like they're all over Doppelkoop's body and all over Ray for it seems like for a moment. Hmm. And after they seem to be like conjuring something out of Doppelganger Coop. And you're not sure what it is. There's lots of blood. And what emerges is in my notes, I wrote down a Bob baby, a little Bob baby, a Bob baby, you know, uh, but it is a It's a sphere, an orb with Bob's face or what looks like Bob's head, but we're just going to go with Bob's face and that would freak anyone out. Understandably, uh, Ray freaks out and gets back in the car, hightails it. He calls Philip Jeffries or who he believes to be Philip Jeffries and says, I saw something come out of coop, uh, or Cooper. And it may be the key to all of this. So a little bit of the pronoun game, which is fine. You know, every yep. show does it. Yep. Um, but Ray knows Ray is aware of a bigger arc. Yeah. Or they a, a bigger game, which that seemed to be my first indicator that Ray was a piece of something bigger.
1: Yeah, he seemed to be just like a, a hitman or, or just uh, a hired gun uh, yeah.
0: first. So that's, that was kind of an interesting clue. Um, so you go back to Doppelganger Coop. The soot acolytes are still there. And there's a moment where Doppelganger Coop sits up just like ramrod straight, almost kind of like awoken or possessed or something. I'm, we're not sure because immediately after that, it cuts to black.
1: And then to the Bang Bang Club. Then
0: to the Bang Bang Club. I was going to say, I'm not sure when they they come in. Ladies Uh, and gentlemen,
1: the the Bang Bang Club is proud to present the Nine Inch Nails.
0: The Nine Inch Nails. Yes.
1: Uh, Okay, the one thing I want to add there is actually that um, Ray didn't just get the drop on Coop. He actually Mm. unloaded his gun previous to this. So you hear Coop's gun, Evil Coop's gun go click. And uh, Ray says something to the effect of, you know. I, I took the bullets or not so smart now or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah. That's kind
1: of a nice moment because I think evil coop has been so all powerful mm-hmm. in some ways mm-hmm. that, uh, to see someone get the drop on him lets, you know, you know, wheels within wheels. There's a lot going on.
0: Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of, a, that was a cool moment, uh, that like evil coop is not all knowing all powerful. Like there's still some susceptibility to him. Um, so yeah, the Nine Inch Nails perform. Uh, the song is called "She's Gone Away," and uh, the the instruction from Lynch to Reznor was something aggressive and ugly.
1: Yeah, he said, "Make my make my hair stand on end." Yeah, <laughs> Tread, so, make my hair stand on end. Uh, I can't quite get it, but uh, you know it's there somewhere. And, and uh, evidently, the first recording was too Twin Peaksy. They were trying to do that uh, Antonio Badalamenti thing uh and so it's great to hear him just reject that
0: yeah and um, it it does um you know we'll we'll get into the woodsman and and his material later but it does have elements of that kind of like trance mm-hmm. almost like that not a not quite a chant but something that is trance like and casts a spell over the audience and it felt similar to the USA bar in fire walk with me, just that, that dark atmosphere, um, that dangerous atmosphere. And, and so it was interesting that it happened like right in, not even in the middle, like in the first third of the episode, our first quarter. And then we have this whole other section that is this amazing origin story, but this performance and the significance of it, I'm not entirely sure, but it definitely put me in that trance, in that mode or mood as well. Yeah,
1: it's it's quite a performance. Uh, I you gotta wonder how the Bang Bang Club was able to get the Nine Inch Nails. Um, yeah, you yeah. Don't think they've got that kind of money, but uh, hey, uh, Nine
0: Inch Nails knows knows where it's at. Yeah, their booking agent this past season has been on top of it. I got to say,
1: it really, really some stellar work. Yeah. Let me see some of the lyrics that I think apply. Uh, You dig in places till your fingers bleed, spread the infection where you spill your seed. I can't remember what she came for. I can't remember much of anything anymore. A little mouth opened up inside. Yeah, I was watching on the day she died. We keep licking while the skin turns black. Cut along the length, but you can't get the feeling back. She's gone away. Which actually applies really well to the rest of the episode. So let's get into that. We start at uh, Los Alamos. Yes. At uh, Trinity. Yeah. White Sands, New Mexico was the, mm-hmm. the exact reference. At what point in here did you know what was happening? Or was it not until the bomb
0: exploded? It was not until the bomb exploded that I knew what was going on.
1: I was, uh, I was a bit of an atom bomb nerd in high school. And so as soon as it said White Sands, New Mexico, I was like, what? And it said yeah. 1945. I was like, what? Yeah. So, uh, and then it connected immediately back to me and that shot. Uh when we first got introduced to Cole in Twin Peaks the Return, the first time he'd shown up, he is uh in front of a gigantic twelve foot by eight foot picture yeah. of uh the first atomic bomb test
0: yeah and it's it's a very beautiful uh rendering of that, or it's very hypnotic, I would say, and it I think part of it is that it stands in contrast to what we just went through that the kind of the dark chaotic turbulent performance and now going into something so stark, so clean. um, So in transient, you, you float toward the mushroom cloud. And when you come into the mushroom cloud, there is a, what looks like a mannequin or what looks like a, a what a theory that I read is that this creature, character, force is or is similar to the monster that attacked the couple in New York? Yep. In the sense that there is no uh, defining feature to this monster; that uh, it is a uh, not nameless or shapeless, but um, no like identifying feature to it. Mm-hmm. So there's a vomiting, as a stream of, of something, which again, like vomiting, <laughs> vomiting happens a lot in Twin Peaks. Yes. I'm just going just gonna to say that. But in a way that it feels like it's calling out like what is inside a person yeah. and uh, very much what is deep, deep down inside and then like the, the unearthing of that or the emergence of that. So there's this stream that comes out of the creature. And there are what look like dinosaur eggs. There's this like cloud or like ribbons and all this stuff. And out of that, in the midst of all of that, is the same Bob egg or Bob baby uh, that we saw come out of Doppelcoop. So that is kind of an indicator of like something emerging or something happening, either at the same time or because of this atom bomb testing from there it segues into what feels like a a very strong and uh very interesting like 2001 homage so at the end of 2001 there's this path or kind of travel through time and space and here it feels like it's a travel through whatever the atom bomb is unearthing or whatever the atom bomb is bringing into the world, like this force that is coming in and it is turbulent. It's evil. It's disruptive. There's this storm. And I didn't actually realize that there's it. The soundtrack is a song actually, not just like dissonant things happening. Uh, it's intentional. Dissonance. and it's an, it's an intentional uh call to the atomic bomb uh it's called a is it threnody or threnody threnody it's okay so threnody for the victims of hiroshima and a threnody is a lament and lament laments are often slow and sad but they don't have to be necessarily mm-hmm. uh, and this one is definitely a chaotic violent lament and it's i think very justifiable uh because you you're tumbling through lightning through these storms through what's what feels very elemental yeah and that was when that was the first like that was the first moment where i felt this is this is the beginning of something Mm -hmm. like this is how something begins and that was kind of the first, like, oh, this is not, this is happening, yes, in 1945, but also, like, we are now in other spaces.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and something is being introduced into our world.
1: Yeah. Um, the next uh, scene, and I'm not sure uh, this does get out of order a bit, so we may uh, not get things exactly in order. Mm-hmm. The next bit is uh, a convenience store. Yeah, lights oh. flickering, smoke. Uh, the uh, dark-skinned figures. Um, who we should mention, if you if you haven't watched the show, these are are not uh, people with a natural dark skin. These are people who look like they've had uh, coal rubbed all over them, or something like that. Um, and these characters are colloquially called uh, woodsmen. Because the woodsman is the one who uh recites the uh poem at the end. Yeah. And so these, these woodsmen are kind of shuffling around the convenience store, interposed with a lot of other scenes of
0: the uh atomic bomb and other things going on. Uh, what'd you make of that? That was the that was honestly the most frightening mm. scene and the most like off-putting. I mean, there are there are instances of stations in Twin Peaks and in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Uh there's a scene in Firewalk with me that takes place above a station or I think a maybe a station or a diner where there's the original quote unquote the original incarnation of the arm mm-hmm. uh and other other people and they're discussing pain and sorrow or garmin Bozia and then there's there's big Ed's gas station in the original run of the show. This was also a gas station, not one that was immediately recognizable as something we'd seen before, but something we had seen like
1: and, and heard about. And if you look to the right of the gas station or the convenience store, you see stairs leading up as though they're leading to the second story. But of course they're, the store does not have a second story. Yeah. Uh, it does not appear to have one. Yeah. So uh, let me uh bring us all the way back to the fire walk with me poem uh, that Mike recites. Mm-hmm. Um, Through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see, one chance out between two worlds fire, walk with me. We lived among the people. I think you say, convenience store. We lived above it. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. I, too, have been touched by the devilish one. Tattoo on the left shoulder. Oh, but when I saw the face of God, I was changed. I took the arm off. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. Uh, so I don't know if I got the reading right, but that con- living above the convenience store was referenced uh, yeah. in a very important kind of moment, mm-hmm. um, kind of the, the central uh, – the Rosetta Stone of, of Twin Peaks, that, that Fire Walk With Me poem.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and so, so we're now getting the convenience store, which has woodsmen living in it. Um, and, I, and I'm okay if you don't have any interpretive things you want to add to that now. Uh, it's, it's a little bit opaque.
0: Yeah. I I think the, the, the word infestation comes to Mm -hmm. mind right now Yeah, of just, if something, if a door has been opened and, and like these, these woodsmen are kind of like pouring through the door in a sense and almost like termites in a way, that's the only thing that comes to mind. Yeah. um, And
1: evidently, if you look carefully, you can see um, creamed corn in the window um, of the convenience store. Um, at least I've read that online. I've not seen it for myself. Okay. Uh, you have to have a pretty big TV, I think, to find that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I like, I like the idea of the Garmin Bosia being there and the connection to the Threnody, mm-hmm. which would be, um, a song about pain and sorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I-, I think it, it, it works well there. So then we zoom out in a sense, um, mm-hmm. we get to, uh, the purple sea again that, that we recall from where Coop landed, yeah. uh, back in episode two or three. Uh, I want to say it's been a bit. Mm-hmm. And a uh, the the giant, or question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, Carl Strykin mm-hmm. is there. First we see Senorita Dido uh, is this character's name. That's the, her name. The, that's her name. Wow. Uh, the actress is uh, Joy Nash. Uh, she sits next to a bell-shaped machine listening to the music of a phonograph. Okay. When the machine begins to buzz loudly, question mark, question mark, question mark, enters and turns it off. Moves upstairs to a room with a film projector. Moves... Very slowly, I might add. Mm -hmm. And on the screen, he is watching what we've been watching.
0: Right. Which is super bizarre.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because we had seen it like 10 minutes ago. There's so many levels of disorientation here. We see uh, the Purple Sea. uh, And we're like, oh, I know that. That has the giant building in it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, we're looking at a cliffside. It's not the building. Oh, the building's on top of the cliffside? Wait, it wasn't earlier. Is this the same building? No, it's not the same building. Mm -hmm. but that bell was on top of the building what's happening now and it's the giant i know the giant but they don't call him the giant anymore okay okay the giant's here it's gonna be okay he's walking real slow all right he's walking through a hall and that bell is back but but now it's gigantic it's like i don't know 80 feet tall nope the giant walked in it's about 20 feet tall it's still really big though but but i'm just kind of thrown off by by everything and uh, oh great now the giant is in a movie theater what what are we gonna it's it's the movie i've just been watching Oh boy! <sighs> oh no! Oh boy!
0: Yep, yep. Uh, and then, out of all of that, great summation, by the way. Okay. Uh, so, in response to what what we, so he's watching what we've been watching, and in response to that, he levitates. Yes, because you know, naturally, he he levitates and then goes at about a forty five degree angle, uh, or maybe thirty degrees. I I won't, I won't call you on it. <laughs> I'll take the measurements later. Anyway, <laughs> he he floats and is suspended in midair, and something golden begins to emerge out of his head. Yep.
1: Meanwhile, Senorita Urita Dido enters and watches. This right.
0: Happen. Yeah, and watches with I don't want to say joy, but she's she smiles
1: anticipation. Um, anticipa- she seems really excited.
0: Yeah. Some she something. The read is something good is happening or about to happen, or she knows or anticipates something positive occurring. Uh, So at a certain point, there is an orb or a sphere that is out of the kind of golden cloud or golden trail of smoke or golden, I don't know, something that has emerged out of question mark, question mark, question marks head. (laughs) So the orb Floats down to Senorita Dido. She holds it, looks into the sphere, and who do we see but Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer. And it's the, it's the high school prom picture. It's the picture that we have seen in brief dissolve in every opening credits sequence this season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: F- same thing, floating through the fog a brief image of Laura Palmer. And then we begin. So it's the same image and the orb, she almost kind of not like throws it up in the air, but like it, she kind of guides it back into the air and it floats toward the, the film screen, the movie, the theater screen. And at that point on screen is what looks like a 1930s film reel version of uh, planet earth. So it's like almost like the, the old like RKO toy model version of Earth. And the orb floats toward Earth or floats over the screen, hits the screen and then goes into the screen and goes into Earth or goes goes toward Earth. How, do I, how am I doing so far?
1: <laughs> it's sounding great. I'm following. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult to understand, but yeah, that sounds sounds yeah. accurate.
0: So we, get in, so we get into Earth, and I believe at that point we, we yeah. have Did one... you mention
1: that she kissed the orb before sending it off? I did not mention that. Yeah. She yeah, does she, kiss she the orb. She very gleefully kisses the orb and then sends it through a, a gigantic golden tube that looks like
0: a saxophone. Oh, that's what it's okay. So that's, I missed the engine through which it was sent. Yeah. So she kisses the orb, and yeah, then sends it through what looks—it's almost as if like David Lynch tried to do, will, or not tried, but like did a Willy Wonka like kind of machinery. Yes, and yeah, it does look like a church organ plus a saxophone plus steampunk plus Twin Peaks. So David Lynch, you know, yeah, yeah. and so the the brass machinery takes the t- takes the the golden ball. And shoots it toward planet Earth. So that's, that's the machinery that, that kicks it out toward, toward the planet. And then
1: we cut to New Mexico, 1956. Yeah. And we're not sure how much, I mean, we know 11 years has passed, but we don't know where, did, did everything we just saw take place in 1945? Where did, where did things line up there? But yeah. we cut to one of them dinosaur eggs.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: full of no doubt, dino DNA. <laughs> and what 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 would you say comes out of that egg? What what cute little baby comes out of there?
0: Uh, something disgusting. It what, it it looks like a stink bug, but it looks slimier. Then it has a it has more of a mass than a, a stink bug. It's more reptilian mm-hmm. in the body, but it is definitely insectoid in the legs. Some have described it as a locust
1: on a frog's body. Okay, a, a mix of a locust and a frog, which is nice because then that that connects you to a couple of biblical plagues.
0: True, very true. Uh, I've also heard frog moth. Frog moth works for me. Uh, and then yeah, that's a connection to, I think it's a like a deleted scene or a connected short film to Inland Empire called Quinoa. Wow, and. Uh, there are like David Lynch talks about something he saw in a dream once and it was called a frog moth.
1: The student has become the master. Thank you.
0: So there we go. So a frog moth breaks out of a dinosaur egg in the desert in New Mexico. Sure. As you do.
1: and takes a real long time scuttling off screen.
0: Yeah. And at this point is the next the next scene is the intro of the woodsman. No, the next scene is the boy and the girl in front of the gas
1: station. At the gas station, yeah. The girl finds a face of Penny. Um, They they both enjoyed the music that they listened to in the Mm -hmm. gas station. Um, And then we get to a couple of woodsmen uh, on a street, and a a car pulls up to them. And uh, one of them leans in and asks the couple what?
0: Got a light?
1: Got a light. light. Got a light? Uh, Repeatedly. Uh, they're freaking out. Uh, you yeah. get the sense that they might be paralyzed uh, with terror, and then they finally speed off uh, and get away from the the terrifying, terrifying woodsman. Yeah. By the way, we saw the woodsman superimposed over the New Mexico desert at various points in this as well, as though they were were landing in the New Mexico desert.
0: Yes. Yeah. Like there was some sort of like appearing or emerging out of that that area.
1: Very very similar to the way that they appeared over uh evil coop.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and, and when when the woodsman they stop the car and there's the driver and his wife, and they when they touch the driver, it's the style and the kind of like skipping or slow shutter kind of technique is very similar to uh when Coop was in uh the Purple Sea.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh that call.
0: That kind of like dislocated movement where there's like you feel like you're slowing down and all of a sudden you jump forward and and so the movement is uh almost like dislocated in a way yes. um and then it sweeps back up again as you know the driver breaks free of the woodsman's grip and they drive away um so we go back to the young couple
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the boy uh very sweetly asks for a kiss. The couple kisses, and then the girl says goodnight. They go home. Then we go to KPJK radio station, and we see another woodsman. And this is... If things hadn't gotten weird already, this is when things go full-tilt gonzo bananas. Um, uh, What famous historical figure would you say the woodsman looks like? I would say... The Woodsman resembles a particular president, yep. a particular log cabin dwelling, uh, top hat wearing president, one Abraham Lincoln.
1: Yes. And The Woodsman uh, in question is played by Robert Broski. And do you know what Robert Broski does?
0: Robert Broski is a retired construction worker who took up a job as an Abraham Lincoln impersonator.
1: Yes. So that's not entirely unintentional, or yeah, you could be forgiven for confusing him for Abraham Lincoln
0: walking into the oh, radio station. That would be the greatest twist ever, is if it actually turned out that the woodsman was Abraham Lincoln reincarnated as a as a demon.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, the the great emancipator, gonna em- emancipate you from life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so what does uh, good old Robert Brosky do? What is so
0: Robert Robert Brosky? the woodsman comes into the radio station and approaches the receptionist who, who's, who's working there and puts his hand on her head and has the woodsman has some sort of power. He moves incredibly slowly uh, as any horror monster does, but has again, this entrancing Quality, And I think it's connected to the fact that, like, as a representative of a force, either something when there's a, a representative of a force is either very evil or very good. There is something uh, that draws you to them. And there is something that's captivating about that element. And I think that's that's just something very interesting and something that you see in stories repeatedly. And even if something is horrific, people are captivated by it. And so the fact that, like, I'm watching this episode and there's an atomic bomb explosion and I'm captivated by it. Yeah. And for a moment, I forget the larger significance of like, oh, this is a bomb that a few weeks from this test is going to kill tens and thousands of people. And for the moment, she, the receptionist, is captivated by this force. And the, you know, the woodsman puts his hand on her head and the, the frame shakes, it becomes totally disturbed. There's cracking and blood and he, he crushes her skull, yep. kills her, wanders into the DJ's booth. Uh, the radio DJ approaches the radio DJ, the, the radio, the disc jockey is just as captivated and paralyzed as the receptionist was. His skull is crushed and or,
1: or very slowly being crushed for a moment. Oh, five that's minutes.
0: right. So he's he's
1: kind of put on pause. During that pause, we get shots of various scenes around town.
0: Yeah. We go to a diner, uh, mm-hmm. we go to a car garage, repair garage, mm-hmm. uh, we go to the young girl's bedroom and yep. all are listening to the radio. Yep. So they're all listening and all just kind of doing their thing, working on a car. Uh, waitress at the diner is kind of cleaning up. Uh, the young girl's just sitting on her bed listening to music
1: and swooning. I would so, say she is just enjoying the date she's just been on. Yeah, this very chaste, very Americana. All of these scenes are, are just sw- the the American dream.
0: Yeah, and when the woodsman comes in and puts his hand on the disc jockey's head, he also stops the record. He pulls yes. the pulls the needle away, and so there's the hard like stop and there's silence and the woodsman grabs the microphone woodsman by the way he still has a a cigarette (laughs) in his mouth
1: an unlit cigarette because no one will give him a light
0: no no one will give him a light The the rudeness so he he takes the microphone and he decides to share with the world some poetry yeah uh and the poetry that we have uh this, this is the water, and this, this is the well. Drink full and descend. The, the horse, horse is the white of the, the eyes, eyes, and dark within. within.
1: So as that plays, people around town begin to, to fall to the ground, assumingly unconscious, mm-hmm. including uh, the young girl, uh, the mechanic, the... Um, Diner uh, worker, mm-hmm. and the uh, our little little froggy friend from earlier shows up. Yeah, and my my wife, I was watching with her the whole time. She's like, Sh- "Shut the window! Shut the window!" She's yelling before the woodsman gets to the radio station. She's mad that the girl has her window open, just like from jump. <laughs> and so watching this with her was fantastic. I told you to shut the window. I told you to shut that window. What are you doing? What do you think? Yep, yep. Um, the the little froggy friend jumps up, uh, <sighs> climbs in the window. Very slowly climbs onto the bed. Uh, and as it approaches her mouth, she seems to start to yawn and then distends her mouth, almost like she's dislocated her jaw to mm-hmm. let him in. And he crawls into her mouth, and like shakes his little feet as he gets in and just worms his way down her throat. And as soon as his last little webbed foot drops away, she closes her mouth. And then the woodsman finally finishes his poem for the 20th time. Mm-hmm. I, I actually didn't count. Uh, but I'm sure it's it's uh, meaningful, whatever it is, yeah. and uh, crushes the disc jockey's head and leaves. Yeah, and that's uh, that.
0: That's the episode. That's it.
1: Yeah, and I think we get just get to end with a long shot of her on her bed, yeah. waiting for something worse to happen.
0: Yes, I I was waiting for I don't know what I was waiting for. I was waiting for something awful, but nothing happened. <laughs> and yeah, I was partly just stunned, partly just like. What, where am i what what did i what did i just watch what what does that mean what am I like okay, so there's this beginning, but then there's this frog, and there's what the hell is the the dark within and the woodsman and this like oh my god, and then it was over so theory time what did you just watch uh, so when I was taking notes, I wrote down. This is the beginning of something. And in reading another review, there was a quote from uh, Mark Frost, one of the original, one of the co-creators and uh, long term, long time brains behind the show. And in reference to part eight, this episode, he said the idea, obviously, or not obviously, God love him was that we'd never done anything close to what you might describe as a Twin Peaks origin story, where this pervasive sense of darkness and evil had come from. And that, that honestly, was all I needed. It was just like, oh, okay. And so, like, this is very much an origin, this feels like an origin story. At a a high level, at a, like, 20,000-foot level... This is the introduction of a force of darkness into maybe not a place of good, but at least like a place that had not yet had not known darkness of that degree. Yeah,
1: there's this, a sense of balancing, right? With the atomic bomb, we also see the birth of Bob. And then um, the giant and um, Senorita Dido uh, give birth to uh, Laura Palmer some way. As yeah. They battling this evil that Laura seems like she's going to be this force of good to battle evil, which we know from the original show doesn't work out like that. Yeah. It it's even more disappointing that, that this origin story, we know the ending and it's not great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's disappointing.
0: Yeah. And it, like it, it never felt like Laura Palmer was like the Harry Potter of twin peaks. It never felt like, Oh, Laura Palmer is the one who's like born to fight Bob. And, in the climactic battle if Laura falls, then all falls. Like it felt as if as Bob is the evil that men do that, whatever Laura is a part of is, and I would venture to say like whatever Cooper is a part of is the, the force that rises to meet that evil. Yeah. The, the Greeks said that we have, um, these two
1: uh, allotments in life hmm. and you're going to end up with with one jar or the other and one of them is full of evil the other one is half good and half evil and and i've always liked that kind of view of the world where your life can be terrible or maybe it'll be terrible with moments of goodness mm. and 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 that's a fate that you could have for yourself uh that's the dream um and it's it's not a Pollyannish thing. It's it's uh, the glass is half full of evil is as good as it can get.
0: Yeah. And, and what I continue to appreciate about Lynch is that as hard as he believes in evil, I, I get the sense that he believes just as fervently in a force of good. Um,
1: but evil is evil is always unadulterated, or there is this unadulterated evil, but but good is more complex.
0: True. Very good, true. Good and, has and, and in that good sense, like good is more fragile. Mm, yeah, um, That's good. In the sense and like Cooper's you know, twenty-five year imprisonment in the Black Lodge is testament to that. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right. So what else what else did we see? Any any other interpretations you want to add? And and I'm happy to add a little bit more if you if you'd like me to
0: point Yeah. I mean, I think just because origin stories are kind of a, like a point of curiosity for me. Like once I got yeah. that idea from frost, that is where my mind kind of went like really deep into. Yeah. Um, And so that was kind of the thing that I continue to chew on and even just continue like why are origin stories interesting to us and why are origin stories interesting to us right now in terms of a lot of the, like media that we are producing, you know, like just in the past, I'd say 25 years, a lot of, uh, the, the comic book movies that have been produced, uh, there's always that kind of urge to go back and tell an origin story. Um, and me thinking like, well, why do we, why do we tell origin stories? Yeah. And, uh, for me, there's like, it, it feels like people want, and we as a culture want coherency and want explanation, or kind of like bookends in the sense of, like, oh, this happened because this happened way back at this point. They want callbacks and they want everything to have this cohesion. And so, to have like, you see trailers for the new Han Solo origin story movie, and it's basically just echoes or mirrors of scenes that you've seen before because it's easier to think like, oh, it's just kind of binary. Like you see one thing and then the beginning is just kind of a flip yep. of the other thing. And I get that. I get that desire for like, I just want everything to make sense. The problem for me is that that feels incredibly reductive and limiting of personhood and of someone's story. And we know ourselves in the sense that like, yes, there are, perhaps like key moments in, in origin story or key moments in a person's beginnings. And so there are like elements of it. And I'm, I'm far more inclined to be of the like elemental, uh, like that cloud that we go into at the beginning or the first, like third of this episode, when we go into the mushroom cloud and that element, that storm, there are things you can pick out, but it's not a like, Oh, these are the three things that make up Twin Peaks, right? And the fact that there, it is it, that it remains mythic and mystical and uh, not not graspable lends to both its beauty and its discomfort. Yeah, I think
1: that there's an element of death in coherence. Um, that, that that's when things finally make sense. When it when a life is over. Then we then it sits still and we can we can take it apart, we can analyze it. And that's why, you know, our favorite presidents are dead presidents. Those are the ones we can talk about. Uh those are the ones that we can all make sense of, and now we've got an accepted meaning of them. Whereas the ones that are still alive might do something wrong or or well or whatever, but it, it gets complicated. These things, uh, meaning is still in process. And so there, there's a, a sense in which this desire for meaning is also a desire for death. And and Freud writes about that when he's talking about the death drive. Uh and so I I actually think that uh, Lynch's connection with absurdist cinema, his reason for doing that is to create kind of new opportunities for meaning making uh, because that's, that's a way of creating life, mm-hmm. uh, of, of putting more life into the world, of making there be uh, more conversation, more interesting things going on, more thought processes. Whereas if it's just here's the way it is, here's how it has always been, and this is correct and right, that's death. There's nothing, there's nothing that can be added. Where, where do I fit in? What do I do?
0: Yeah. And we've talked about this in regards to Westworld, but just the idea of being given a narrative and being given a a story and what are the consequences of breaking that narrative or pushing against that story that you've been given? Yeah, And does that signify, like that self-determining, what does that how does that change you? And, and how much of, you know, is that a personal decision? Is that your response to culture? Is uh, Where does that come from?
1: Yeah. So con- continuing to interpret, even though we've just said, you know, we, we don't want to put a pin in this. We don't want to end it. But let me push forward towards another theory. Yeah. And so we've got a lot of biblical imagery throughout this episode, mm-hmm. particularly uh, the, the frog and locust uh, that I mentioned earlier. We've also got a, a young couple on a date and some mention of Mary. She asks if he's still going with Mary, and he says no. Mm. And and once we start to fall into that trap, then the woodsmen appear as some kind of angels heralding the coming of some rough beast slouching toward toward Bethlehem. Hmm. This is, you know, maybe a repurposing of of Yates. Uh certainly the center cannot hold. Uh that's how it feels here. And his poem, This is the Water and This is the Well, Drink Full and Descend, The Horse is the Wide of the Eyes and Dark Within. You know, it, in Excel, sees Deo, Deo, uh, it's, it's him heralding the, the coming of something new, something yeah. monstrous. And and we see, if we then com- continue to follow that metaphor, what we're witnessing is some version of an immaculate conception. And so the question would be
0: who is being conceived? mm.
1: Now, do you would you like to jump in on that theory?
0: Uh one one theory I read, and maybe this will kickstart other ones, is that the woodsman is a representation of the log lady's husband. Yes. Who, who like died that. in a fire. Yes. And, and
1: and as of 1956 would not have died yet, but you know what? Time doesn't really matter, we're fine. Right.
0: Well the argument there is that since Annie appeared to Exactly. Laura Palmer out of sequence that for the woodsman to kind of jump back is nothing. He, se- he seems to
1: have some kind of effect on time anyway. Right.
0: Just throwing things out, right. out of order. So I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, so the theory is that it's the log lady. Mm-hmm. Also, like, huh, interesting, is that it's my thought was Sarah Palmer. So
1: as of this
0: airing, we
1: had no confirmation. Uh, we knew that uh, Sarah Palmer grew up in Washington, uh, but we did not know uh, much else about her. Mm. Uh, but you could deduce that 1956 is about right for when she would have, would have been 11, Yeah, that she would have been born in, in 45 or so. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, a, another book came out. Right? We've talked already about the secret history of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks, the final dossier came out. And so I've been spending some time with it. And I got to tell you, uh, some news about Sarah Palmer. If you're if you're ready to hear it, uh, she actually.
0: I am ready. Lead,
1: yep. She was in New Mexico in 1956. Huh. So I don't think that your theory is a bad one. I, I think it sounds like it's right on track. We're certainly being led to believe that this is is Sarah Palmer. Yeah. Um. That is is having this experience uh, that will lead maybe not directly because uh, Laura is not ready to be conceived yet. Right. But but indirectly to the uh, birth of Laura Palmer. Yeah. And it, it it causes us i think to think very differently of this scene in that all I see in this is evil. And maybe it's the forces of Bob trying to combat Laura Palmer.
0: Hmm.
1: And trying to infect her entire family. And this is this is part of their grand plot to kill off Laura. Yeah. And and infect uh Leland with Bob. Yeah. Uh, eventually.
0: Yeah, like you you poison the soil.
1: Mhm. But it's also um, where Laura comes from, and so it's in that sense not all evil. There's there is some kind of there's something else here as well. So it's it's a, a complicated theory, but uh, seems seems to bear out as yeah. well as not giving us a lot of closure.
0: Yeah, that was. It feels like we are led to believe that this is someone we've met mm-hmm. or someone who has a connection to someone we've met. Yeah, that. I guess that's the only part that feels strange. Is that like if this if this were a couple that's totally disconnected, that would seem odd. And that would seem wasteful it feels like a, like too strong of a word, but it, it would feel like, Oh, that's, it feels like a missed opportunity.
1: Right. Like it's just a metaphor for American values or something like that, which is the way I read it at the originally, those theories hadn't been born yet or I hadn't seen them yet. Yeah.
0: But the other, the other scenes feel like it, that does, they do the work of that metaphor yes of like the diner the mechanic the bedroom just like here's americana alive and well black and white leave it to beaver mm-hmm. and it's there and then there is this dark herald mm-hmm. uh you know like a shepherd who who <laughs> you know has a vision i love that idea of that of that herald and i mean you want like biblical references you have isaiah having a vision uh of heaven and there's this praising and Isaiah fears for his life because he is so close to the glory and the, the awe of the Lord. And a beast emerges from that praising and singes Isaiah's tongue with a burning coal. Yes,
1: because he is a man of unclean lips born among a people of unclean lips.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right. So final thoughts on this episode. Um, yeah. what, what do you think? Are you are you as in love with this thing as I am? I love this episode,
0: yeah, yeah. because it, it feels like Twin Peaks going once upon a time, yeah, and then just just going guns blazing, uh, yeah, into uh, into something. It almost it's strange in the sense that I watched uh, the new I watched This Is America, the new music video from Childish Gambino, and it like watching Twin Peaks made me it changed the way I watched that video. In the sense that like, is there a narrative in that video? Yeah. But there's also like a collage of experience and a collage of happening and currents and 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 forces moving both in front and behind and deep and around. And so I kind of just like, I'm just gonna like let this wash over and let yeah. this, you know, like <laughs> in the same way the frog moth just hopped in and just yeah. like it's just it's gonna seep within. Yeah. And then effect without. A,
1: a spoonful of frog moth helps the medicine go down. Always. Uh, in the most delightful way. hmm Yeah, yeah. It, it really does change the way that I watch things. It's, um, it was a strange experience for me when it first happened, as no doubt it was for you. Mm. I did not get warned beforehand. So, so for me, it was oh. just in the middle of the episode. Everything just changes. Jeez. What's happening now? Because I watched it live. Uh, oh my and, gosh! And wow. I just uh, Megan can testify. I couldn't shut up about it. Uh, they just did. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I didn't know they could do this to TV. They they did. Some, TV is different. Yeah. TV is different now.
0: As, um, I mean, I, as one who teaches all about like, comics, meta narratives, storytelling in all of its forms and mediums, like when you say it changed television, like what were the immediate things that you? I hit I was on? thinking about. About The Leftovers and just all of the ways that it had pushed the boundaries
1: and all the ways that Damon Lindelof had, had really pushed things and also had talked about how he was inspired by Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had heard an interview with him when The Return came on and he was just talking about how Twin Peaks had pushed television in these new ways and he was so excited to to do the same thing and, and The Leftovers really did that. Yeah. And then watching this episode, I just immediately felt the sense of Lynch saying – all right, let me step in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I, I I can raise you because yeah. The Leftovers was weird and it was dark, but it's, it's kind of got nothing on this episode in terms of just pushing what the medium can do. Yeah. The the demands that this hour of television makes on your attention and also on your, your knowledge of Twin Peaks lore, mm-hmm. uh, the ways that it, it reflects on itself and connects to so many other uh, just cultural objects. Um, it's really, yeah, blows me away.
0: Yeah, like Lindelof, there's there's an origin episode in Lost that is done admittedly not well, uh, that is more riddle answering. It's just like 48 minutes of like riddle answering. Yeah. And I think that's what pissed a lot of people off is that it, it became awfully reductive. And so Lindelof spins out of that into the leftovers and has one of the last episodes begin with a man who, Locks the door of a submarine, strips naked, does some really intense yoga, and then manages to detonate a, an atomic warhead. Uh, yep. And we never go back to that, which yep. is great. Uh, and, and during so, the uh,
1: in the opening of the second season, the cold open, uh, which was also daring to do, yes, as the cold open of the second season uh, had another origin story, uh, yes, with a, a woman and a child and a snake. And death being introduced to a perfect garden mm. and uh, as as his way of introducing a, a new location, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh amazing and beautiful and and i I kind of think Lynch had to have thought of that scene um, mm. uh, or of the leftovers in, in some sense
0: in the, in the ways that he wanted to push it. yeah, and so then, yeah, like Lynch kind of out of that' been like, "All right, cool, and then just throws down uh on, on this origin story in such amazing transcendent ways. And and yeah, there is it almost is like you like these overlaid images of just like Mark Twain, like history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Mm-hmm. So they're like images of a gas station or images of this vomit stream or these like these bells that are occurring or, or recurring in the sea. And these characters like the giant and bob and so there is a language and there is a there is there are movements that are recognizable even yeah. if there are narrative beats that are unquantifiable there is it's like okay there is something happening here that i am already a part of
1: yeah it's an amazing episode of tv because it it resists peer pure- Paraphrase, uh, even as it um, generates interpretation and causes you to, to 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 just keep spinning off. And it could mean this, it could mean that, it could, that, it could do this, and it could be doing that. And it's it, it's such an amazing object because of that, because uh, yeah. it can do so much. Yeah. Um, well, I I think we have talked for long enough about one episode of television. Uh, I could certainly talk for another hour with you, and maybe we'll uh, take this off the pod and just chat and chat and chat. Yeah, but we should get out of here and uh, see you in just a week or two when we get back to uh, part nine yeah Let's see where that takes us um, Dom I give you no spoilers from here on out uh, uh, you, you're you just gonna have to ride on the edge of your seat dude. Uh so thanks again for joining us uh, for next time we're gonna be working through uh, Twin Peaks Return part nine you can get a hold of us on Twitter where our handle is at OverthinkPod and find more at OverthinkPod.com I'm on Twitter as at Helmstreet and Dom where are you?
0: I'm on uh, Twitter as well Dominic underscore Lang and Instagram, Dominic Lang.
1: Until next time, just remember, the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Drink full and descend.